0: This is The Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. We have been in a sermon series for the last 13 weeks, uh, and we've been talking about, you know, how God turns things upside down. The sermon series has been titled Upside Down, which is a lot to do with the idea that the New Testament church was facing when they gave their hearts, their lives, their mission into the hands of the Lord. Uh, The church in Thessalonica were, were coined and termed as people that were turning their world or their city upside down for Jesus because of their witness and because of their testimony in front of other people. God is tasking you and me with the ability to be able to walk into the worlds that we are a part of and to turn our worlds upside down. And we've been in a 13-week journey on that subject as to how we can take practical steps from the book of 1 Thessalonians to Turn our worlds upside down. That could be your schools, it could be your jobs, your careers, your businesses, your relationships. How can we turn them upside down? Now, and I don't mean that in the negative way. If you're joining us for the first time, you probably might be taken aback in asking me, Pastor Oshish, why would I want to turn something right side up upside down? That doesn't make any sense. But to give you context. God moved, came into a world that was upside down. He sent his only begotten son, and he said, man, you see it right side up. When you get used to a certain way of doing things, it seems right side up to you. But God upset the world when he sent his son into the world to die for mankind, for our sins, and to take our perception of an up, a right side up world and turn it upside down. Now, that's what I'm talking about when we say we've got to turn it upside down. There's there's so many people in the world, there's so many individuals in the world that are going through their lives thinking that they're leading their lives right side up, when in reality, their lives are amiss, their lives are upside down, and God is looking at some of y'all and saying, go into their worlds that they think is right side up and turn their worlds upside down. And today, as we get into part 13, the closing verses of chapter number five, we're in the last chapter of this book, and we've come to chapter number five, there are these wonderful practical guidelines as to how to live a Christian life in fulfillment. And there are three areas of life that Paul talks about in this fifth chapter. He breaks it up into three parts, so to speak. Part number one is how to act towards the leaders of the church, and we talked about that last week. Part two is how do you live with other believers, whether at home, at work, or wherever God has put you in, and that's part two, and we'll be talking about that this week. And part three is how to live toward God and to respond to the situations that God puts us in, which will be a grand finale next Sunday. You know, in First Thessalonians chapter number five, verses 12 all the way to verse 22, we will find around 13 commands that Paul gives to the Thessalonians. And we talked about the first two commands last Sunday. Command number one in verse number 12 was, verse number 12, verse number 13 was respect and esteem in love those who labor among you, the elders, the leaders, the pastors that God has placed above you. Love them and esteem them. And those who are over you to admonish you. And and point number two, the second command was be at peace amongst yourself. And today we'll talk about command number three all the way to command number seven if we have time. So go with me to First Thessalonians chapter number 5. Verses 14 to 18 is where our scripture is this morning, and then we'll go from there uh, as time permits. I'm going to do the best I can to stick within time. I know we have some good, good, some, some, some treats for the, for the men outside. Women can partake too, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know what they have up there. They don't tell me about Father's Day. They tell me about Mother's Day. They tell me about every other day, but they don't tell me about Father's Day, so I have no idea what's happening. I saw a bunch of ties outside. But that's all I saw. But hey, we're, we're, we're going to have fun this evening after the service, all right? So uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5, verse 14 to 18. Follow with me as I read ESVs where we're going. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, would you speak to us through your word, God? Give me the ability to be able to take this word, break it down, and to be able to to explain it in the most simplest of ways. Give us a heart of understanding, give us a heart of learning, give us a heart of humility, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to us through this word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The next three instructions or commands that we're going to be studying this morning, and if you're taking down notes, we have the notes coming up on the screen. I strongly encourage you to take notes because it helps you during the week. Over the next three commands and the instructions, Paul is urging the body of Christ to be cognizant and to be ready to deal effectively with three groups of people whose attitudes and actions need correction. You know, it's important to point out that in the Bible, wherever we're tasked with a command, it necessitates the believer to jettison all our self-reliance and surrender to the Holy Spirit and rely wholly on His Holy Spirit, on God's Holy Spirit, to guide us and lead us and give us the ability to do the things that God is tasking us to do. The Christian life is just not the the cliche term or the cliche, you know, the, the phrase that says, let go and let God. As much as that is true, and for as much as popular that saying is, It greatly de-emphasizes the believer's responsibility to act appropriately on your faith. You know, there's this healthy balance between, uh, the the healthy balance of 100% our responsibility and 100% his enablement. God expects you and me to work on our faith, to take action on our faith in order to work out our sanctification. In verse number 14, as we start Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, to be patient with them all. The third command, the third command that we're going to start off today is admonish the idle. Admonish the idle, I-D-L-E, or the the lacquer, the, the slacker is what Paul is referring to over here. The word admonish has a lot to do with warning or giving notice beforehand, especially of danger or of evil. I'm actually thinking about a couple of days ago when uh, Sonia's dad and I, we were coming back from the store and I was getting off the freeway to go ahead and take a U-turn. We got off the freeway on the service road and we were going to take a U-turn on the service road coming back around. And I, and I remember taking the U-turn, coming around, and right before I could get back into the other side of traffic, I looked over my shoulder to make sure cars were not coming over. And as I was, I was looking over, the car that I thought took off before me was still in front of me. He, he didn't take off fully. I, I saw him going, but I thought he had gone, and, and I, didn't, I was looking over my shoulder, but Dad, fortunately, wasn't looking over his shoulder. He was looking forward, all right? And in a moment, a second's moment, he looks at me and says, "Ah!" ah, ah, ah. all right? That's the Indian way of saying "watch out." All right. That's, and for all brown people, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Now, now I do that too. My wife does that too. Right? She'll be sitting right next to me, and if I'm not paying attention to the road, ah! That's 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 watch out. All right. That's that's pretty much watch out. And if it wasn't for the ah, I would have had a very minor collision. Nothing crazy, it was just rolling with the car in front of me. But the warning that dad gave me in the right time caused me to slam on my brakes. And I could be honest with you, that car was probably this close to me. You know, those are called admonishments. They're not to disappoint you, they're not to put you down, they're not to destroy your morale. They're not to destroy your complete who you are or your, your confidence. It's more to look at you and say, hey, you don't see this coming or you're not, you're not watching out and I'm right by your side. I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I'm seeing what you're not seeing because of whatever the reason is and I'm gonna make sure that I come in and say, uh uh, ah, when it's necessary to make sure that you are living out your sanctification in Christ Jesus. And of course, I'm talking about a car here But if it wasn't for the admonishment that dad gave me, it would have probably ended up in an insurance claim. The idea is to lay it on the mind or the heart of the person with stress being on the influencing not only the intellect, but also the will, the emotions, the dispositions. It's the warning of danger. And Paul is saying that God is looking at you and me and saying, we need to be admonished when God says, man, there's some of y'all that are lazy, that are slacking, that are just sitting around, not doing what you're supposed to do. What does it mean when he's talking about the idol? What is he talking about when he's talking about the slacker, right? It means out of line. It means disorderly or lazy or idle. The, the word used over there is this word "atacos." In, in, it's the one who is out of step and going on his own way. We've been talking about this term a lot. It's like a soldier who essentially breaks rank or an army that advances in disarray and people that hold other people back. That's the understanding of this verse. The ones that sit back and are leeches that suck from other people, that, that glean from other people, that take away from other people. The ones that sit back and say, let everyone else do their work. I'm just going to sit back. Sadly, we live in a culture that promotes that. Sadly, we live in a culture that, that, that people are okay with sitting at home and doing nothing and collecting checks from the government and not working hard. I understand and, and I'm not admonishing people that can't physically actually work. But it's so important when you and I are tasked with the ability that God has given us the health, God has given us the strength, and I'm speaking to the body of Christ this morning. And I pray that we will not be the Christian that takes advantage. We will be thankful to God for our health. We will be thankful to God for the strength that he has given us. And if it's in our ability to be be effective people in the workforce, contributing to our society, contributing to our community, I pray that we will be Christians that will take that upon ourselves to say we will not be a burden, rather we will be a blessing. You know, it was... uh, He was was talking about those who could work but refused to do so. It was actually thought that in Thessalonica, the people whom he had referred to earlier had quit working because they expected the Lord to come at any moment. Because the message was the second coming of the Lord is near. The second coming of the Lord is near. So they all quit their jobs. They said, all right, let's just get together. Let's just say, you know, Jesus, we're waiting for you. He's talking to that group of people this morning. They were living off the gifts of others, and they were they were not willing to work and support themselves. And and and, and Paul is looking at Silas, and Paul is looking at, at the church in Thessalonica and saying, That's not okay. He's admonishing them, he's saying, Ah. He's saying, I'm I'm warning you, that's not good what's ahead of you. That's not what a Christian has to do. That's not what the believer has to do. You have to grind, you have to work. He's encouraging them to mend their ways. And he does not do this in a mean, spirited way. He does it in an encouraging way. To point out to them that this kind of behavior is unacceptable. In verse number 14, the second part of it, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Someone say faint-hearted. That's the fourth point, the fourth uh, command or the fourth instruction that Paul is giving the church is encourage the faint-hearted. Just like the message that God gave the church in Thessalonica, this is a message for our church are we sensitive enough as believers? As we, are we sensitive enough to look at people around us and encourage people that are, are faint-hearted? Encouragement has this connotation of actually showing up on one side. My question to you is, how is your Christian life being a life of encouragement today? In what ways this week have you been an encouragement to somebody today? It's important. As much as you can show up for people when they need you the most, I pray that we will be a church that shows up, that we will be people that shows up. And I've seen that happen in our church, right? Not, not just praying for you. And we've been talking about this, not just sending a text message saying, folded hands, folded hand emoji, right? Raised the hand emojis, closed eyes, emojis, raise all of that. All that's great. All that's good. But the idea of faintheartedness is synonymous with words like fretful or or discouraged or, or, or worried. An example of a person like this is a person who feels like their resources are too small for a given situation and they're so despondent or discouraged. And are you able to read that in them and go alongside them and encourage them in faith and say, don't give up, brother. Don't give up, sister. Your circumstances and your situations may seem fragile. They may seem small, but you have a God who is able. It takes very little to encourage somebody. For a man or a woman who has read up your word, who is familiar with your word, who encourages yourself through the word, it is easy for you to encourage somebody else through the word. You don't need to be a counselor. You don't need to be a therapist. Trust me, the Bible is the best therapist you can ever have. The verses in the Bible provide life in eternal. And when you provide life for yourself through the word of God, you will be equipped to provide life for other people and speak life into them at any point of time in their lives. Or those people that are self-denigrating, you know, who have this low opinion of themselves. You'll find so many people like that in our communities. People that don't believe in themselves. What are you doing to speak life into them? It could be your spouse. To encourage them, push them forward. To make them a better them. What are we doing today to encourage in Isaiah 57 verse 15, the Bible says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That is the heart of God. To go, out, go down into the most lowly places and lift and encourage the people that are hurting You know, so many people can live with bad physical health and they can tolerate it. But can I let you in on something? Worked in the mental field for so long, and I can honestly tell you this, but they can tolerate health problems, they can live through it, they can bear the pain, but emotional and psychological health, man, that has discouraged, that has destroyed way too many lives, even to the point of suicide. You'll find so many people, they would have health problems over health problems and they wouldn't think about taking their lives. But the moment their psychological or the mental health takes deterioration, takes a beating, takes a hit, you would see them running away from the realities of life. But the problem is there are not many people to encourage. I pray that we will be sensitive to the people around us that are dejected and that are sad and that are sorrowful and that are depressed and oppressed. And I pray that we will be the lifter of their heads through Christ Jesus who gives us the strength. God is depending on his church. He's depending on each one of us to stand alongside our co-workers, to stand alongside the people in our circles and turn their lives upside down. I want to hear stories, and I want to hear testimonies of you praying for somebody and them saying, man, if it wasn't for so-and-so that prayed for me, if it wasn't for so-and-so that prayed for me, I would never have come out of this. You know how many people go through pain and how many li- people are living through pain? And one way is to watch what you say sometimes. It could be within your family. Give me that apple, babe, from that, that, uh, that bag right there, I, and I, and I brought this along with me, not to eat. I'm not going to eat in front of you, trust me, don't, don't worry about it. I just brought this apple with me. Uh, just to illustrate a point, just the apple. There you go. You know, um, we bought this apple a couple of days ago. Beautiful apple, really nice, juicy. We had one earlier, and it was really nice. But um, it's like this apple. So many people around us, you know, they, that go through stuff, looks pretty. You know they have so much to offer. But all it takes is discouragement sometimes. What am I talking about? You know, an apple can be one of the most delicious fruits, but certain things that you can do to this apple can make it look less appetizing. All I got to do is flick it a couple of times. All I got to do is knock it a couple of times around. Sometimes I can, I'm not going to drop it for the fear of it breaking apart, but I could just drop it. You know, the perfectly beautiful apple will turn so bad in color, the color will be so bad, it will be horrible that you want nothing to do with it. It could be in marriages. It could be in relationships. If we don't watch the way we talk to people, the hurtful things we say to people, it could be discouraging. There's so many people that walk around like this apple. And all I did was tap it a few times. Every time I say, you're ugly. Nothing, you don't see it. There's there's nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful red apple. It doesn't change on the outside. You said something funny, but it was degrading. Everybody laughed. So did the apple. The apple laughed too. They knew I was joking, but it still hit them. It didn't change them. Pastor, come on, take a chill pill. It's not that serious. No, you don't think it's serious because all you think, all you see is a nice red apple. But here's the problem. Can you give me that knife, babe? Here's the problem with this. You don't see what people are going through on the inside, and I try to be safe, and I brought this butter knife with me, so I didn't want to cut anything in front of you guys and scar your awful life. So the moment I go into that apple and I cut that apple open, what you see is these damages on the sides and the corners. And you know what I'm talking about. The more I open it up, the more you'll see it. Where the corners are damaged and it starts eating away on the inside. And even though on the outside it looks great, and outside it looks undamaged, there are so many people walking around like damaged goods because of words that were spoken to them wives that are walking around with their heads down and their spirits down because husbands speak down on them day after day, week after week. I need to stop waving this knife at y'all. But brother, they're okay. They seem fine. They come to church every Sunday. They wear their best clothes. All you see is a red y'all. Y'all don't see damaged goods in the inside. Y'all don't see that when they look at themselves, they think that nobody wants anything to do with them because of the damage that they have on the inside. They're scarred on the inside, and all we care about is they're okay outside. We continue doing that day after day. We continue doing that week after week. It could be our own family members, it could be our own wives, our husbands, our children. We tell them we're dumb, they're dumb, they're not gonna amount to anything in life, they won't do this, they won't do that. We hear it at work. We make fun of people around us, but every single time it causes more pain and pain and pain to the point where we want to give up. But you know what? This is what I want to remind us today, this morning, is sometimes God looks at us as Christians that need to be sensitive about the people around us. Are we sensitive enough? Don't think that timid is always standoffish. The people that are quiet are the ones that are always like the haughty ones. Sometimes timid people are the hurt people. They're the ones that need to be encouraged. They need to be cheered up, stimulated, and helped along. They, 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 They don't need to be rebuked and warned like the idol, but rather they need to be encouraged through the use of helpful words to continue their battle for the Lord. These are the people that are, that, that, that are sensitive to criticism. These are the people that are apprehensive concerning the future, the ones that feel inadequate and ungifted. The introverts among us that say, oh man, I'm not gifted or I don't have this or I don't have that. Y'all have everything going on for y'all. We don't. I don't have any gifts. We are to help make sure that we make people feel like they belong. Like, like to ask them to discover the gifts that God has given them. Like, like put them in a place of encouragement where they can see the best that God has in store for them. And he concludes that verse 14 by saying, help the weak. Not just encourage the faint-hearted, but help the weak and be patient with them all. Point number five, encouragement number five, command number five, help the weak and be patient with them all. The idea behind helping the weak is this idea of holding oneself face-to-face with or holding to support as to sustain them. I remember watching this video on YouTube a while ago of this marathon runner who was almost at the end of his race and almost about to finish his race, and and, and he collapses and he falls down just 50 meters short of the finish mark. And I saw this encouraging of this man that was coming in second place. Who saw this man that had fallen down, literally went up to him, lifted him up, lifted him up, and made him walk, and he saw that his, his knees were buckling and falling. He was falling all over the place, and I literally saw him carry him from the back, take him with him and throw him across the finish line before he could cross the finish line. That's the idea that Paul is giving us over here. this idea of holding up to support, to sustain. The strong arms that God has given you to encourage people and lift people up, the the, the strong arms to to put your arms around the weak and hold them up, they need to be assured that they're not forgotten or despised because of their helplessness. This word weak in the Greek is this word astensa, astensa, a, which means which means strength. And when you put them together, it gives you this word, astenessa, or sorry, I pronounced it wrong the first time, astenessa, which means weak. And a lot of people are weak because of spiritual weakness. They're weak because they're weak in their flesh or they're weak in their conscience. A lot of them are weak because of their susceptibility to sin. Believers who struggle with this abandoning of sin and obeying the will of God and this fight that goes on. And these three classes of individuals that need this assistance in the church is being described over here by Paul and saying, some of them are lazy in their faith. The idle, admonish them, he says. The second group of people is the ones that are tired in their faith. The ones that he calls are faint-hearted, he says, encourage them. And the third group of people, he says, they're weak in their faith. Help them, sustain them, encourage them forward, help them out. Here. Consider these, the nature of these three groups that Paul mentions. And he, and, he, and, he, and he covers them all. And he says, You would need supernatural patience to obey all these three commands. And that third thing that he covers them with is be patient with them all. Don't be brash, don't go impatient with them. Somebody might not be as spiritual as you are. They might be two steps behind. But are we patient enough to bring people that are new to the faith, disciple them, hold their hands, and make sure that they catch up? They're going to slightly delay you, but are you ever so patient? You know, patience does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It's the opposite of anger. In short, this is what Paul is trying to say. We have to manifest a long fuse before we actually blow up. Not short fuses. You know, we can comfort others because God has comforted us. We can encourage others because we are encouraged daily by the reading of the word of God. And there are so many people that don't have that. And I pray that we will be that encouragement to them. Shifting gears to the next command, verse number 15, the Bible says, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Point number six, command number six, do not repay evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and everyone. Now, beginning of this verse, we're going to see familiarity in the phrases, or the terms, or this particular word that Paul is going to use a lot. Word is everyone. He says, see to it. Be careful. Be on your guard. Make sure, he's saying, it, it means to return something. He's saying, make sure that you don't retaliate. Make sure that you don't give an eye for an eye. He says, don't take revenge. A person, uh, this person that he's talking about is this person that always wants to take revenge or pay something back to someone. But Paul prohibits against this. He says, abstain from evil for evil. Abstain from saying, man, you did me wrong. I'm going to do you wrong. You did me evil. I'm going to do evil back to you. Haven't you heard that? Hurt people, hurt people. I've always heard that. It's true to a certain extent. But it doesn't have to be that way for Christians. It could be that way for the world, but we are not off the world. We are in Christ Jesus. So when we are in Christ Jesus, hurt people don't hurt people. We can break that chain. We can break that norm. Hurt people can learn how to forgive. Hurt people can learn how to turn the other cheek and say, no matter how much you've hurt me, no matter how much you've put me down, no matter how much you've ostracized me, I am going to show you the love of Jesus as to what he did on the cross of Calvary. And I'm going to say, bring it on. It doesn't matter. It could be when someone says something unkind at a family gathering. Or it could be when someone goes behind your back to talk about you. To get above, ahead of you. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, do not say, I will repay evil with evil. Wait for the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22, the Bible says this, I will repay evil. God says this, wait for the Lord and he will save you. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to deal with your naysayers. You don't have to deal with the ones that put you down. Let them hit you all they want. You give your hands to the Lord Jesus. You give your heart to the Lord Jesus. He has got your back. It's like my five-year-old daughter who comes up to us every single time, every time her two-year-old sister slaps her across the face or pulls her hair. She comes to us and says, "Dada, he hit me, because we've taught her that. Don't hit her back. She doesn't understand She just thinks that you're bigger and you're taller and the only way that she's going to get around you is making sure that she hurts you in some way or the other. If you haven't been hurt, remember, somebody's being intimidated by you. The only reason as to why somebody would hurt you is because they see something in you that they don't like. They see potential in you. They see you overarching on them and they're intimidated by that and, and all they can resort to is hurting you but God looks at you and says, that's not your job vengeance is of the Lord's, is what the Bible says. You know, in Proverbs 24, 17, Solomon has beautiful wisdom. He says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Man, I'm guilty of this. I don't know about you, but I have a very honest guilty moment. You know, there were times in my life when people that did me wrong and man, when when they went crashing, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Served you right. God is on my side. You laugh, but you know that's you. You've been praying for a while. Lord, vengeance is yours, but you don't have to celebrate it. It is his. Well, it doesn't mean when you see bad stuff happening, like I told you, so. call like a hundred people and be like, hey, did you, did you see what happened? Did, did, did you hear what happened? You know, Romans 12, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, parts of it I'm going to read. The Bible says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We just read that. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, he will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. They thought they were about to hurt him. But what they didn't know is that he was repaying evil by doing good for the mankind that would never see what happened on that cross. He repaid evil with good. The last part of verse 15, it says, but, but, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Are you always looking for ways to show kindness to somebody? I pray as Christians that we will find ways to be kind to people around us. You know, Romans 14, 19 says this, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's what the Bible says. It says all men. Did you, did you read that, Bennett? Real quick, it says this. It says all men, not some men. It says all men to everyone. Do good to one another and to everyone. Someone say all men. All men means everybody without exception. It means not playing favorites. It means treating others how they need to, they deserve to be treated but in spite uh, in spite of what they did, despite of what they've done, despite of their character, despite of their personality, despite of their preferences. It doesn't matter. I will treat everybody the same way. How do I be good to everyone? By doing the following things. You ready for this? You know, all the whole letter, Paul has been giving us a few nuggets here and there. in chapter five, I feel like he's been waiting for chapter number five to unleash the fury and just give us bam, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're like, Wow. And verse 16, 17 is just like that. He's Rejoice always. Easy, easy to memorize that verse. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, these three verses, in my opinion, are probably three of the most important verses in the entire scriptures. And I don't say that lightly by any means. If I can get to preach from three verses for the rest of my life, it could possibly be these three verses. Because there's so much loaded in these verses. And it starts off by these key verses. Rejoice always. Someone say always. Pray without ceasing, without ceasing. Say without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances. And then he and he he juxtaposes that with, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Everyone says, brother, I just want the will of God. You know, for a lot of us, the will of God is about a certain thing that has to happen in your life. This job or that job. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. It says, rejoice always. Come on, am I talking to somebody? That's the answer for everything that you seek the will of God for. You know, it's, it's like this. Um, the more you work on something, the more ability you have to increase that particular thing. You, you get better and proficient at it. There's, there's power in repetition. And that's what is coming out in this amazing passage because point number seven, command number seven, he says rejoice always. That's command number seven. You know, in the original Greek, the adverb is placed first. And what do I mean by that? To emphasize when we are to rejoice and when is at all times. Here's the thing. Rejoice means have joy. Someone say have joy. You know, a Christian may not have a lot of things, but one thing a Christian is guaranteed to have is joy. Someone say, I have joy. Every Christian, every believer, no matter what is happening in your life, you are guaranteed to have joy. Say, I have joy. Come on, somebody say, I have joy. Joy resides deep within our soul. The moment you become a Christian, the moment Jesus comes into your life, you and I as Christians are guaranteed that joy comes with Christ. It's not a fleeting emotion. Joy is a result of being content with what Christ is to you. It comes with receiving Jesus into your heart. And the secret to joy and the secret to rejoicing is rooted in your attitude, the way you interpret your circumstances. I'm going to go somewhere with this, and I want you to kind of join with me and and kind of follow with me. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a tool that the Holy Spirit equips us so that no matter what comes our way, you will be victorious. What does that mean? In your sadness, you will still be victorious. In your defeats, you will still be victorious. If you have joy in your heart, no matter what the circumstances, you will still be victorious when your eyes are on Jesus. Follow with me. There are circumstances in which it is natural for us to rejoice. You know, whether we're Christians or not, joy fills our heart till it overflows when we have, when we're, when we're young and when we can do stuff, right? When, when we have, when we have good health or when we're in love or when we have wealth or when we have, you know, when, 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 when we have everything going right for us, that's every reason to have joy. And we feel like singing all the time. But that natural joy can hardly be kept. Because sometimes... We tend to lose joy many times. It, it starts going away. It starts deteriorating for many people. He is calling us, Paul is calling us to continually be in a state of joy. Something that is only possible when we surrender to the, willing, the willingness of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. And trusting in his supernatural enablement. And not relying on our own strength to pull it off. You know, society is filled with despair and gloom. I've actually had a bunch of phone calls this week from people that are at the end of themselves. They just want to give up. They want to throw the towel in. And that's where James comes in in verse, chapter number one and verse number two. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter va- various trials and temptations. So it's not just a the towel. It's also so bad. It's in the trials. The Christian has the ability. It's a choice that you make. Instead of saying, man, what have I done to deserve such a thing as this? Or why am I going through pain? I've done everything right. Why do I as a Christian have to go through this and this and this? But trials make you grow up. It makes you face yourself and learn things about yourself when you go through it. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I want you to listen very closely. See, joy is not the presence of the spectacular or the absence of sadness. Am I talking to somebody? It's not the presence of the spectacular or the absence of sadness. That's not what joy is. It's not fleeting. It's not dependent on things. We can rejoice always because our joy isn't based on circumstances, but On God, circumstances can change, but God doesn't change. And hence, if we have a joy in the Lord and if we trust in the Lord, we can harness that inner joy to come through for us and sustain us in the most desperate and the most futile of times. You know, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it can be explained in this beautiful verse of Scripture that explains what Jesus did on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, now listen to this, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, listen to this. He said, for Jesus, who, who for the joy that was set before him. See, Jesus didn't find joy in the event that was about to happen. He found joy in the outcome of the event. Oh, y'all didn't hear this. See, Jesus didn't find joy in the event because that would be crazy. That would be weird. That would be weird to say, oh my God, tomorrow I'm going to have an accident. Tomorrow I'm going to lose my job. So I'm going to be joyful today. That would be weird. No, I don't find joy in the event. I find joy in the outcome of the event. That no matter what happens... It could be good or bad. It could be bad news from the doctor. It could be a negative news. It could be a negative report. It could be a demotion at work. It could be me being fired. It doesn't matter. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow, it does not matter if it's a yes or a no. When I go in with the attitude of joy, I come out still with joy because my joy is not dependent on circumstances. My joy then is dependent upon the God that will bring me out of any circumstances and that God gets the glory this morning and that's why he says rejoice always because the Christian that can that can discipline yourself and joy is a discipline that can discipline yourself to be joyful no matter what news comes your way I'm going to be cliche it's going to be fake news see you and I are tasked with cultivating our joy someone say cultivate your joy Don't always abandon yourself entirely to moods. There are some times that you're going to feel depressed and sad, and by no means, I I used to be a mental health worker, and by no means am I dismissing mental health issues because it's serious, It's, it's something that we as a church need to pray for and help people that are going through it. If there's somebody that's going through mental health needs, come to us, we can give you the help that you need. No way or fashion am I dismissing it. But sometimes when we feel depressed or sad for no reason, that's what I'm talking about, Except that a mood is on us on a particular day. In, in, in such times, we need to anoint our heads, like the Bible says, and wash our faces and, and, and get up from your bed and say, you know what? I don't want to do it, but I'm still going to put my makeup on. I'm still going to comb my hair. I'm still going to look presentable. And I'm going to go out to the world and tell them who Jesus is in my life. Amen. Or show them who Jesus is in my life. Every day, you make the decision to refuse to look miserable. You make that decision. Trust me when I tell you this. You have that decision upon your shoulders because you can harness that inner joy. You can go inside and say, I choose to cultivate joy. Every day, you choose that decision to refuse to look miserable, to speak mournfully, to be pessimistic, to pass on depression to everybody around you. You choose that. And I pray that you will choose wisely today. Cultivate joy by counting your mercies, which are left rather than what you have lost. I know choosing joy is hard, but one difficult thing should be made easy when it's combined with another, right? And that's what is suggested by the eighth commandment that Paul gives us. I'm closing here very soon. Uh, The eighth command that Paul gives us, pray without ceasing. It's not easy to rejoice always but praying constantly helps us with that process. Am I talking to somebody? Somebody said pray without ceasing." Point number eight is pray without seizing. Pray without ceasing. Commandment number eight. See, the position of our text is very suggestive here. Paul's being very suggestive. It comes immediately after the precept that rejoice always. It comes immediately after that. It's like this unspoken question. How do I rejoice always? Pray always. You make it sound so easy, Paul, like pray always. Like, what do I do? Just pray, 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 pray all the time. I can barely get through, you know, prayer for food and I'm looking at my food and salivating. Like, how do you want me to pray for my food or pray always? I can barely get through family prayer without my kids like running amok and destroying everything in the house. Pastor, how do you expect me to pray always? Come on, pastor. Let's be more realistic. No, the more praying, the more rejoicing. The more praying, the more joy. The more in tune you are with the Holy Spirit and the more you are in tune with the heart of God, the more joy. It, is, it goes hand in hand. Daniel prayed without ceasing. But brother, that was his full-time job. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. But hey, God is calling you to pray without ceasing. David prayed without ceasing. No, that wasn't his full-time job. He was a king. But he still had the discipline a prayer. Pray when the sun is shining so you know how to pray when it's dark and when it's gloomy because a lot of times, man, we find ourselves in places that are so dark and we're lost and we don't know how to navigate and go anywhere and what to do because you're not used to praying in the first place. See, a lot of y'all know your houses so well and no matter how dark it is in the night, you can make your way around those, those corners of your bed without hitting your knee and saying, ah, and waking everybody up because you're so familiar with how the room is or how, how your house is. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's because you, you're familiar with it in the light. So even when it's dark, you're pretty confident that you can walk in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning and get your glass of water without waking anybody up. Or if you're clumsy like me, you're, you're definitely going to wake somebody up. I'm just talking about the majority of y'all. You know, unceasing prayer refers more to prayer as an attitude and not just as an activity and thus serves as a good reflection of our level of communion with Father, our familiarity with the Father in heaven. Regular prayer, I know it takes concerted effort and it takes discipline and it's actually sadly possible for a believer to go through a whole day and not speak to God even once. I didn't hear one amen. It got awkward in here. It's all, it's all good. How many times have you told someone that you would pray for them and then you did not? We've all done that, haven't we? Thoughts are with you, brother. Prayers are with you. Good thoughts. But here's a little exercise that dovetails nicely with Paul's command to pray without ceasing. Stop saying that you'll pray about a thing. Instead, stop right there and actually pray about it. Whatever you're doing. It could be you picking up the phone, recording a voice message on your phone, and sending it to that person saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. Before I forget, I want to say a word. It could take 30 seconds. It could take 45 seconds. It doesn't matter. It's the thought. It's you actually doing something about your prayer life. Stop saying things and start doing things. But how can someone pray all the time, Pastor Oshish? Like I, like I said, we barely get through our family prayers. Man, prayer can be an atmosphere in which you exist. Prayer can be you bringing to the Lord every burden and everything that is on your mind, every aspect of your day, and being just in touch with him and being in tune with him. Prayer can be God consciousness. Prayer is an expression of your dependence on Christ. Because here's the thing. Temptations don't cease. As you are tempted without ceasing, so pray without ceasing. As much as you are tempted without ceasing, pray without ceasing. Make that time, devote that time. Let your children know that you have that time devoted to prayer, and they can't bother you, and they can't deter you from that. Susanna Wesley, the mother of the great 18th century evangelist uh, John Wesley and theologian, he had she had 19 children, John being one of them. When she wanted to pray and meditate, she would sit in a rocking chair, cover her face with her apron, and she trained her children to respect these times of quietness and fellowship with God. Not one of them would disturb her while she was in prayer with the Lord. What does praying without ceasing mean? Not giving up on prayer. Don't ever come to a point in your life where you cease to pray at all. Church, don't abandon the God of hope and say there's no use praying. I'm, I'm urging you today, go on praying. Don't cease praying. God is answering your prayer. God is listening to your prayer. Always be in communion with the Lord. Take the receiver off the hook and make sure that you're in tune with God Almighty. Never be in a position where you have to come into prayer and say, Lord, I come into your presence because you never left his presence in the first place. Not that I'm saying, Lord, I come into your presence, is the wrong way to start your prayer. But I'm just saying that, man, you wouldn't have to say that if you never left his presence in the first place. But here's a word of encouragement for you. Out of the 667 approximate prayers that are recorded in the Bible, about 454 recorded answers to prayers are in the Bible as well. That should encourage you to motivate us to pray without ceasing. How can I always do this? Are you, it, you know, this is it can be only answered by this. When you are bound by dependence on God, when you say, God, I'm just going to depend on you, a spirit of dependence should permeate every single thing that you do. And verse number 18, band, if you want to come up, in verse number 18, the Bible says this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, you want to know what the will of God is for you? Give thanks in all circumstances. Someone say, give thanks. Observe, however, just like I said earlier for the earlier verse, that immediately following the text, in everything give thanks. You know, when joy and prayer are married, the firstborn child... It's called gratitude. Gratitude comes immediately after those two. When you learn to put prayer and joy together, rejoicing and communicating with God together, the product of that is always gratitude. Point number nine, and my last point today, last command is this, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, gratefulness gives us the confidence that God is still on the throne, despite of our circumstances. You know, the opposite of giving thanks in all things is grumbling or murmuring. Don't we all grumble? We all grumble. Don't we all have that if only mindset? If only I had more money, I would be happy. If only I had a better spouse, I would have a better marriage. If only I had a better job, we would be in a financially better place. If only I had more money, I would tithe more regularly. I would give to God more regularly. Pastor, pray for a new job. You know, Sonia and I would always say, if only we had a personal chef, a cleaner, and a 24-hour babysitter in our life, life would be so much better. The if-only mindset is a prison. And Paul is sitting in prison. Most of his epistles, he's writing to the, these letters. And he's, he's actually encouraging the church. And he's saying, man, be joyful. Have thankfulness. And I'm like, Paul, how? Like, you're bound. Like, you're in prison. You know, the hymn that says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It doesn't surprise me anymore. But the, the, when, when you cultivate honor when you cultivate the spirit of joy inside of your heart nothing should surprise you every single thing when you count it you can point it back to God because he gave it to you and nothing that I have is without the hand of God on it make thankfulness a part of your life because it's thanksgiving that leads to thanks living you can Cannot cultivate a discipline and a lifestyle without practicing it on a regular basis. Thanksgiving should change the Christian, the Christian's attitude from Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving. Every moment of your life should be about Thanksgiving. Because Philippians 4 6 says be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. You know, the last three commands are an ornament of grace to every believer's neck. This pendant of grace. That's why I said this is probably one of the most important verses or three verses that you could ever read. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. What are the circumstances that God has put you in today? That God is looking at you and saying, man, you have the potential to turn that upside down. How are you gonna turn it? These commands. Each one of these. Can you stand up to your feet with me, church? Each one of these commands. How do I live a victorious Christian life? When I begin practicing each one of those things on a regular basis, I can cultivate a habit and a discipline. of giving my heart to Jesus on a regular basis and saying, God, without you, I can't do anything. I can't do it. As the worship team leads us in a few moments of worship, I know we're running a few minutes late, forgive me, but as they lead us in a few moments of worship, if there's anybody that needs prayers today, Our prayer teams are going to be available here today to pray with you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Lead us in a powerful time of worship. Cast your anxieties, cast your burdens on the Lord today. Whatever you're going through, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is causing you anxiety and pressure and all of those things, can you give it into the hands of the Lord today? Like I said today, man, you're, you're probably never used to actually praying with somebody, but Do something out of the norm. Do something you've never done before. Join with somebody. Stand with somebody in prayer. Agree with them in prayer today. And as the worship team leads us in prayer today, if you're wanting to stand there and pray, you can stand there. I'm going to come back and pray for all of you, but if anybody needs specific prayers, please don't hesitate to step out of your seats. Come forward and pray with our prayer teams. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.